Bless the Lord, help me to be able to have clarity of mind, to preach the things, Lord, that you would have me to say. Lord, help me to be able to uh, be used of you tonight as we just look at a few things in this passage, Lord, and that uh, we might hear from you and that we might learn from your word. Father, we love you. In your precious name I pray. Amen. All right, well, we're there in Joshua chapter 2, and I do want to say thank you for all of you who have been praying for me, and I'm uh, feeling uh, better now, feeling a lot, a lot better, so uh, I do appreciate that. In Joshua chapter 2 there, if you look at verse number 1, and we've been preaching through, we started a series, been preaching through the book of Joshua on Sunday nights, and we find ourselves here in Joshua chapter number 2, and uh, if you look at verse 1 there, the Bible says, And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. I want you to make note of those two words. Even Jericho. And they went and came into an harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. Now keep your finger there in Joshua and go just real quickly with me to the book of Numbers. Numbers, uh, chapter number 13. You've got the book of Joshua, right before the book of Joshua, you've got Deuteronomy, and before Deuteronomy, you've got the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter number 13, if you look at verse number 17, I just want you to compare this. Numbers 13, do you remember when Moses has sent the 12 spies into Canaan land, and he sent them in to spy out the land, and they came back with an evil report, and we talked about that last week, and the week before that. But in Numbers 13, 17, I want you to notice this. In verse 17, the Bible says, and Moses sent them to spy out the land, okay, the 12 spies. He sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, and said unto them, Get you up this way southward, and go up into the mountains, and see the land, what it is, and the people that dwell it therein, whether they be strong or weak, few or many. So Moses sends the spies in to check out the entire land. And when they come back, they're talking about how it's a great land, it's flowing with milk and honey, the people are strong though, there's, uh, there's giants in the land, and all this stuff. In Joshua chapter 2, if you go back to Joshua, when Joshua, when it's his turn, he's in the exact same place, exact same location, getting ready to go into the promised land just like Moses was. Moses sent in 12 spies, they came back with an evil report and the people decided not to go and they were punished because of that. In Joshua chapter 2 verse 1, when it's Joshua's turn to send spies... He makes a distinct difference. Look, look at verse 1 again. Joshua the son of Nun sent out of Shittim two men to spy, secretly saying, Go view the land, just like Moses said. But notice he says, Even Jericho. You know what that tells us is this. Joshua had already decided for the people, We're going into the land. Moses said, Go check out the land. And there was nothing wrong with that. The people should have checked out the land. But Joshua says, You know what? I'm not interested in checking out the land. He said, we're going into the land. He said, not only are we going into the land, I already know the first uh, battle we're going to fight, it's going to be against Jericho, and I want you to go into the land, and I want you to check out Jericho, just to give me uh, information in regards to how this battle is going to go. And Joshua was determined already uh, to go into the Canaan land. There was no spies coming back and bringing an evil report as far as Joshua is concerned. You understand what I'm saying? He was determined already to follow God's will. He said, I want you to go into the land. He said, I specifically want you to go to Jericho. He says, I know where we're going. I know where we're headed. This isn't up for debate. This isn't up for argument. This isn't up for conversation. He says, this is what we're going to do. Joshua was determined already to follow God's will. And and in our Christian lives, keep your finger there, Joshua. Go to Daniel real quickly. Daniel... And uh, towards the end there 
of the Old Testament. Once you get past those major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, you got the book of Lamentations there, and then that big book, Ezekiel, and then you find the book of Daniel. Daniel, chapter number 1, I want you to see something very interesting. You're familiar with the story of Daniel, young man who was taken from his home and brought into uh, Babylon, and he did great things there uh, uh, under captivity. And Daniel chapter number 1, I want you to notice something about Daniel. The Bible says in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. And you know, the reason that there are some Christians who are successful in their Christian lives, like Daniel, the reason that there are some Christians that are successful in what God has called them to do, like Joshua, and the reason that there are so many Christians that fail at those things that God has for you to do, is because Joshua, like Daniel, had already purposed in his heart, he'd already determined, he said, it wasn't up for debate. He didn't want the spies to come back, and then they were going to have a conversation. So you think we should go? He says, we're going. We're going into Jericho. We're going into the promised land. We're going to take over. Daniel said, before he ever requested, he said he purposed in his heart not to defile himself with the king's meat. And as Christians, we need to just get to the place where we determine in our hearts that we are going to do God's will. You know, a a football game should not determine whether or not you're going to show up for church on Sunday night. You understand what I'm saying? We ought not live our lives in this way. You know, most Christians live their life. I'll read my Bible if I get to it. You know, the reason you, you say, I tried to read nine chapters a day and I, I wasn't able to do it. You probably weren't able to do it because you never actually determined in your heart you were going to do it. And by the way, if you read the Bible the rest of the year, it'll be based on whether you determine and purpose to do it. If you become a soul winner, it'll be because you determine and purpose to do it. If you're consistent to church, it'll be, you know, if you, if you wake up every Sunday morning and, and every Sunday night and every Wednesday night and decide, you know, based on how I'm feeling, whether I'm going to be faithful to church or not, based on what's on the hell of vision, whether I'm going to be faithful to church or not, you're never going to be successful in your Christian life. Joshua did not say to these men, go into the promised land and figure out whether or not we can do this. He said, we've already figured out whether we can do it, because God said we can do it. He said, I want you to go in, we're determined, we're going to Jericho. He was determined to follow God's will. And if you and I are going to follow God's will in our lives, we're going to have to realize how to be determined. And already purpose, already decide. You ought to decide in your heart already. I will serve God. I will be in church. I will be reading the Bible. I will be praying. I will be a soul winner. I will be faithful in those things that God has called me to do. Don't put it up for debate. Because if you put it up for your debate, your flesh will always win. Your flesh wants to fight you every step of the way. But Joshua, he said, hey, we're going to Jericho. He said, we're not going to relive the episode that we had with Moses. He said, we're going to go into into the promised land. Look at verse 2. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men in hither tonight of the children of Israel to search out the country. And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come to thee, which are entered into thine house, for they be come to search out all the country. And we start getting here into a very famous story of Rahab the harlot. Look at verse 4. And the woman took the two men, 
I'm sorry, verse 3. And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come to thee, which are entered into the house, for they be come to search out all the country. And the woman took the two men, and hid them, and said thus, There came men unto me, but I was not whence they were. And it came to pass about the time of shutting of the gate, when it was dark, that the men went out. Whether the men went, I wot not. Pursue after them quickly, for ye shall overtake them. But, she's, but she had brought them up, to the roof of the house and hid them with the stalks of flax which she had laid in order upon the roof. So the, the, these two spies, spies they come into uh, Jericho, they go to Rahab the harlot's house and the king finds out about it, sends men, he says, hey, tell us where these two guys are. She hides them up in the roof under the stalks of flax there. Now I want you to, 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 to see something here. Keep your finger there in Joshua. Go to the book of James real quickly. In the New Testament, James, right after the book of Hebrews, James chapter number 2, look at verse number uh, 25. James chapter number 2, verse 25. Now, James is a very controversial type sub, uh, uh, passage. A lot of people try to use James chapter 2 to prove work salvation. And in James chapter number 2, here's an example or an argument that people will give in regards to work salvation... If you look at James 2, look at verse 25. He says, Likewise also, was not Rahab, this is Rahab the harlot, was not Rahab the harlot, from Joshua chapter 2, justified by works, when she had received the messengers, and had sent them out another way? Question mark. Now people will take that verse and say, See, Rahab the harlot was justified by works when she received the messengers. And they'll say, see, you're justified by works. You're saved by works. And a lot of people like to use this passage to say that you're justified by works. But here's what I want you to understand. Look at verse 25 again. She was justified by works when? When was she justified by works? When she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way, right? That's when she was justified by works. Go back to Joshua chapter 2. When did she do that? Well, she did that in verses 2 through 7. Look, look at, uh, we won't take the time to read all, all those verses again, but look at verse 5. And it came to pass about the time of shutting of the gate, when it was dark, that the men went out. Whither the men went, I wot not. Pursue after them quickly, for ye shall overtake them. But she had brought them up. So she told the guys, hey, they already left. They went out when they, and you pursue after them. You may be able to find them. But in verse 6 the Bible says, But she brought them up to the roof of the house, and hid them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order upon the roof. So according to James 2.25, these verses we just read, this is when Rahab the harlot was justified by works. Are you with me? Look at verse, uh, look at verse 7. And the men pursued after them, the way to Jordan unto the fords. And as soon as they which pursued after them were gone out, they shut the gate. Now here's a question though. When was Rahab the harlot saved? Look at verse 8. And before they were laid down, so before they went to bed, she came up unto them upon the roof. So she comes up to the roof. At this point, the spies came into her house. She understood that they were Israelites. She hid them on the roof. The soldiers came. She says, they came here. I didn't know who they were. They went away. Go find them. So she's aided and abated them. You know, she's, she's taken care of them. She's hit them. And if you look at verse 8, it says, And before they were laid down, she came up, upon, uh, up unto the... Uh, I'm sorry. Up unto them upon the roof. My mind is still shaky. Look at verse 9. And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, 
and that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt, neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. Notice what she says. Look at the last part of verse 11. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Now here's what I want you to understand. People will say in James, see, she was justified by works when she hid the, hid the, the spies. But according to Joshua, she hid the spies, but she was already saved. You understand that? She was already a believer. She said, look, the Lord your God, He is our God. She'd already heard about God. She'd heard about the parting of the Red Sea. She'd heard about all the different victories that they had. She'd heard about all of that, and she already believed. Before the spies ever showed up, she'd already believed it. So that throws your work salvation out the door. Because you said, well, she was justified by works. She was justified by works when she uh, hid the spies. But when she hid the spies, she'd already believed on God. When she hid the spies, she said she already believed that the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. She was already saved. And by the way, she was a harlot at this time. Do you know what the word harlot means? Prostitute. That, that knocks out your repent of your sins for salvation. Most repent of your sins preachers today would say, well, well, of course, she'd have to repent of prostitution before she could be saved. But she already believed on God and she was a harlot. So we need to understand that salvation is not by works. Salvation is by grace. It's through faith. And here's what's interesting. Go back. Did you keep your finger there in James 2? Go, go back to James 2. I just want you to see it real quickly. James uh, chapter 2, verse 25. James chapter 2, verse 25. And here's what's interesting about this. James chapter 2, verse 25. Look, look what it says the way. Again. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works. When was she justified by works? When she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. So she was justified by works when she received the messengers, but she was already justified by faith before that. Same thing with Abraham, and, and we dealt with that when we were going through Romans, so I'm not going to deal with that tonight. But keep your finger there in James 2, and go, go to Hebrews chapter number 11. Right before the book of James, you have the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter number 11, look at verse number 31. Hebrews chapter number 11, and verse number 31, tell me if this sounds familiar. The Bible says, by faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not, when she had received the spies with peace. You see that? So in Hebrews it tells us this was an act of faith. In James it tells us it was an act of works. But either way, we know before she hit the spies, she was already saved. And here's what you're going Go back to James 2. Look at verse, let's read verse 25 and look at verse 26 with it. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. Look at verse 26. For as a body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. So people will say, see, faith without works is dead. Now here's the question I have for you. If faith without works is dead, does that necessarily mean that faith is non-existent? Look at the illustration he gives. Look at verse 26. For as a body without the spirit is dead. To have a body without a spirit, you have a dead body. You understand that? Does that mean though, if I died... You know, I got sick. If it would have been the last sickness I ever had, if I would have just gave up the ghost and died, 
And, and somebody would have said, well, the body without the spirit is dead. Pastor Jimenez is dead. Does that mean that I never existed? Like my body would still be there. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because faith without works is dead. Yeah, faith without works may be dead, but faith without works still exists. What, what we can learn from that is this. You can't have faith without works. But the faith that people have without works, it is a dead work. What do we mean by that? Well, it's a work that doesn't do anything. It's a work that doesn't accomplish anything. It's a faith that never does anything. Hey, many Christians are saved by faith and never do anything for God. Why? Because faith without works is dead. You ought to live right. You ought to do right. You ought to do things, you know, because you're saved. You ought to show that through the, through, uh, the works of your life. But if you never do, you're still saved. If Rahab the harlot never would have brought in the spies and hid them and never would have covered for them and never would have helped them, guess what? She was already saved. She already believed. Do you understand that? So uh, the faith and works of Rahab, you need to understand, she was already saved before the children of Israel entered into Canaan land. Go to Joshua chapter 2. And by the way, that tells us that even in the Old Testament, the gospel was being preached. Even in the Old Testament, without the children of Israel necessarily, Gentiles were being saved. Gentiles were understanding Scripture. Gentiles were knowing about the one true God. Look at verse number 8 again. I want you to see something else. And before they were laid down, she came up unto them upon the roof. And she said unto the men, notice what she says, I know that the Lord hath given you the land. And that your terror, I want you to notice this, your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. She said, look, I already know that God already gave you Jericho. I already know that the Lord has given you this victory. And she says, by the way, your terror is falling upon all of us. She said, all the we are all scared of you. We, we, are not, we know we can't fight against you. We know that God has already given you this victory. Look at verse 10. She says, for, that word for there means because. She says, here's why we're scared. Here's why terror is falling upon us. Here's why we faint because of you. Here's why we know that God has already delivered you. Look at verse 10. She says, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea for you. Now let me ask you a question. When did the Lord dry up the waters of the Red Sea for the children of Israel? Do you remember? It's when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, right? Children of Israel came up out of Egypt with Moses, and as they were coming out of Egypt, he dried up the Red Sea and they crossed through and, and came out of Egypt. Now here's what you got to understand. The events that she's referring to there, the Red Sea being dried up, do you, do you, do you realize that that was 40 years earlier to, this, to what we're talking about right now? The children of Israel came out of Egypt with Moses... God dried up the Red Sea, they passed through, the word got around to Canaan, the word got around to Jericho, that the children of Israel had a God so powerful that He could literally part the Red Sea, and they got scared. And they said, wow, we can't fight against them. God has delivered the land to them. God has already, we are so scared, our knees are shaking, we can't fight against them. But here's what's interesting, okay? Moses sends 12 spies... The 12 spies come back, give up an evil report. They said, we can't do it, we can't go. And they have to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Isn't that interesting? And that whole time, the people that they were scared of were more scared of them. Isn't that interesting? And 40 years later, Joshua shows up and Rahab says, yeah, 40 years ago we were ready to give up. 
40 years ago, we'd already lost the battle. 40 years, here's what you need to understand. I wonder how many Christians waste their lives wandering in the wilderness, never going into the promised land or the victories of their life because they're scared, because they're afraid, because they don't understand that God has already... Look, if God says you're going to have the land, you're going to have the land. God had already delivered the victory to them, and it was waiting for them just crossing the Jordan. That's all they had to do. And they failed to do it. And they waste, literally wasted their lives. That generation had to die and was not allowed to go into the promised land because of their unbelief. Isn't that interesting? But when they show up, they say, wow, we've been waiting for four years. We heard all the way back a long time ago, we heard that God uh, dried up the, the Red Sea. Look at verse 10. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did unto the two kings the, of the Amorites that were on the other side, Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. She said, we heard of those battles, we heard of those things, and we've already given up. But they never took advantage of that, because they did not go in. With belief. Look at verse, uh, let's see here, look at verse number 12. Now therefore, I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that ye will also show kindness unto my father's house, and give me a true token. So now, Rahab begins to ask a request, and she says, look, I helped you, I brought you in, I hid you, I told them you weren't here. She said, I want you to do a favor for me. Look at verse 12 again. Now therefore I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you uh, kindness, that ye will also show kindness unto my father's house, and give me a true token, and that ye will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. So she says, look, we already know you're coming. We already know you're going to destroy the land. She says, what I'm asking from you is this, that you save my family. It says, don't kill me, don't kill my dad, don't kill my mom, don't kill my family members, don't kill their family. Look at verse 14. And the men answered her, our life for yours, if ye utter not this our business, and, if ye, uh, and it shall be when the Lord hath given us the land, that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. Then she let them down by a cord through the window, for her house was upon the town wall, and she dwelt upon the wall, and she said unto them, Get you to the mountains, lest the pursuers beat you, and hide yourselves there three days until the pursuers be returned, and afterward may you go your way. And the men said unto her, We will be blameless of this thine oath, which thou hast made us to swear. Behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window which thou didst let us down by, and thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and thy father's household home unto thee. Look at verse 19. And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of thy house into the street, his blood shall be upon his head. And we will be guiltless and whosoever shall be with thee in the house, his blood shall be upon our heads if any hand be upon him. Now what you have here is a beautiful picture of salvation. I need, I need you to understand something. Just because you have a picture of salvation in the Bible does not mean that that's literal salvation. For example, you have a beautiful picture here of salvation, but this is not when Rahab had been saved. We already established that. She'd been saved a long time ago. Do you understand that? Many times in Scripture you will have pictures of salvation, but a picture does not necessarily mean it's, it's salvation. For example, all throughout the Old Testament you'll have the animal sacrifices. Do you know what I'm talking about? 
Now those sacrifices are a picture of salvation, but they didn't bring salvation. Remember the story of Noah and the ark? That ark was a picture of salvation. They had to enter into the ark. They had to go in through the door. Remember Jesus said, I am the door. They had to go into the door. And once they were in, that do- in, in the ark, God shut the door, uh, picturing his eternal security. And He saved them from the judgment of the world. Hey, that's a picture of salvation. But the people that went into that, into that ark, not all of them were saved. So just because there's a picture of salvation doesn't mean that it is salvation. Like baptism. Baptism is a picture of salvation, but baptism is not salvation. Do you understand what I'm saying? And here, we find a picture of salvation, but it's not salvation, but it pictures it. Let me show you. Look at verse 18 again. Behold, when we come into the land, this is what they said to her. They said, she said, save my brothers, save my sisters, save my family, save my dad, save my mom, save my family, save me, don't hurt us because of what I've done. And they said, okay, here's what we're going to do. Verse 18, she says, he says, behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet. You know what the word scarlet means? It's a color. It means bright, it's a bright red color. They said, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet, which thou didst let us down by, because her house was on the wall, and she let them down through the wall. She had a scarlet, uh, uh, a scarlet thread there, and, she, and that's how they got down from the wall. And she said, okay, here's what we're going to do. You're going to take this red scarlet thread, and you're going to hang it. Look what it says. Uh, thou shalt bind the line of scarlet thread in the window, which thou didst let us down by, and thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home unto thee. So here's what they said. They said, at your house, I want you to throw down this red, bright colored, red scarlet thread, and that's going to be a sign to us to not kill the people in that house. That scarlet is a picture of the blood of Jesus Christ. If you go, keep your finger there in Joshua, go to Isaiah real quickly. Isaiah chapter number 1. Isaiah chapter number 1 the Bible tells us, you say, why did Jesus have to die? Why did He have to uh, shed His blood? He had to do that because our sins were that color. Isaiah chapter 1, look at verse 18 real quickly. Isaiah 1, 18. The Bible says, come now and let us reason together. Isaiah, I'll wait for you to get that. I want you to see it. Isaiah chapter number 1, verse 18 is the, the first of the major prophets there. Isaiah 1, 18 says, come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Look what it says. Though your sins be as scarlet... They shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. The spies, you can go back to Joshua, said to Rahab, they said, okay, we're going to help you, we're going to save you. And notice, she starts off with this, I pray you. She had to ask for it. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, hey, we have to ask for salvation as well. Remember, this is not her salvation, this is just a picture of salvation. They said, okay, you want to be saved? Here's what we're going to do. You're going to throw down this bright red colored scarlet thread, which is a picture of the blood of Jesus Christ. And they said, anyone that's in your house will not be killed. Now here's what's interesting. Look at the last part of verse 18. And thou shalt bind, uh, I'm sorry, and thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home unto thee. 19. And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of thy house into the street, 
His blood shall be upon His head, and we will be guiltless. Here's what they're saying. They're saying, you let down that red scarlet thread, that will let us know not to kill anybody in the house. He says, anybody that's in the house, we won't kill. But if they're not inside the house, He says, that's on them, that's not our fault. He says, they need to be in your house. They need to be in that building that's covered by that red scarlet thread. If they're in that building, they're going to be fine. But if they come out of that building, then they're taking it upon themselves. If they die, it's not our fault. That's what they said. Salvation the same way. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You have to be in Christ to be saved. There's only one way to be saved. It's in Christ. People say, well, is it, is it by living a good life? No, it's by being in Christ. Is it by you repenting of my sins? No, it's by being in Christ. Is it by being faithful to church? No, it's by being in Christ. You can be a harlot, and as long as you're in Christ, you can be saved. It's a beautiful picture of salvation. They said, we need that blood. And you need to be in Christ. If you're in Christ at the day of judgment, you'll be saved. And here's what they say. If they're not in Christ at the day of judgment, if they die, it's not our fault. You know, you have family, and I have family, and you have friends, and I have friends, and you have co-workers, and I've got people I know, and we've got uh, neighbors, and we've got people we know. Hey, before that day of judgment comes, maybe we ought to uh, compel them to come in to Christ. You think Rahab the harlot, as she knew the day was coming, that Israel, you think when she saw them show up, and she started seeing them walk around, you think she's probably said, hey, you need to come over, Dad. You need to come over, Mom. I see the children of Israel out there, and if you want to be saved, you need to be under the blood. Under, you need to be in this house. That's the only way you'll be saved. I'm sure she was trying to compel everyone she could to come in. And you and I ought to be compelling everyone we can to come in. Look at verse 23. So, the two men returned, these are the spies, and descended from the mountain and passed over and came to Joshua the son of Nun and told him all things that befell them. He told them everything that happened. Verse 24. And they said unto Joshua, notice what they said, Truly the Lord hath delivered into our hands all the land, for even all the inhabitants of the country do faint because of us. Now, keep your finger there in Joshua and go back to Numbers 13 real quickly. Numbers 13. We're almost done. I'm not preaching long tonight at all. Numbers 13. Look at verse 31. Do you remember when the original 12 spies came? Numbers 13. Look at verse 31. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched, unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which came of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. Look at verse 1 of chapter 14. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. Now here's what's interesting. Twelve men go into the promised land. They see the same Canaan. They see the same Jericho. They see the same walls. They see the same thing. And they came back saying, we can't do it. We can't do it. 
Two men, 40 years later, go into the same promised land, go to the same Jericho, see the same walls, see the same fruit, see the same beauty, and come back and they say, God has delivered the land into our hands. Isn't that interesting? What's the difference? Different individuals looking at the exact same situation, but saw it in different ways. Here was the difference. The first group was motivated by fear. The latter group was motivated by faith. That's it. I'm sure the walls of Jericho were just as big when the two spies saw them as when the twelve spies saw them. And if anything, the people were probably more afraid when the twelve spies saw them than when the two spies saw them. Because when the twelve spies went into the promised land, it was, the, the events of the Red Sea were fresh. When the two spies came, four years had passed. Do you understand what I'm saying? And yet they go into the same situation... And because of fear, some say we can't do it. Because of faith, others say we can do it. And in our Christian life, it's the exact same way. Some of us will live godly lives. Some of us will see many saved. Some of us will see many great things done for God. And some of us will see nothing done in our lives for God. And here's why. Some of us are motivated by fear. And some of us are motivated by faith. See, I want to be a great soul winner. If you're going to be a great soul winner, you're going to have to forget about the fear. And step into faith. I, I want to be a great leader or a great husband to my wife or a great uh, mother to my children or a great father to my children. I, w- I want to be able to, to lead this country. I want to be able to preach and I want to be able to do something in America. You know, whatever it is that God has called you to do, if, if you're going to accomplish it, it's going to come through this one word faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You can't please God without faith. Say, I can't be saved without faith. But once you're saved, you can't do the works of God without understanding that God is in control. God is sovereign. God knows. God knows that there was giants in the land. But he also knew that word had got around, that God was bigger than the giants. See, they were looking at the bigness of these giants, and what they were not looking at was the bigness of God. And you know, let this be a challenge to you, and this story be a challenge. That whenever you get scared, you say, well, I don't know, I don't know if I can step out by faith, I don't know if I can do that. God might have already won that battle for you. Sometimes you will come up to me and say, Pastor, I'm so burdened about going to church three times a week, but, but you know, my job, and I'm afraid to, to talk to my boss and ask for Sundays off, or I'm afraid to talk to my boss and ask for Wednesdays off, and I'm hey, God might have already won that battle for you. You step out by faith. But a lot of times we don't ever see those victories because fear grips our hearts. The Bible says we ought to fear God. But don't fear men. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you Lord so much. Thank you for our church. And Lord, thank you for a group of people that would be faithful to church. And Lord, I understand that I'm probably not being as clear as I normally am or having as much energy as I normally do. But I also know that your word does not come back void. And I pray you'd bless this time and bless the passage we looked at and the story of Rahab and that we would understand and comprehend that God is great. And the promised land for them was just right on the other side of Jordan. That victory was theirs for the taking. And they did not take it because of fear. But Joshua did. Caleb did. And Lord, I pray you'd help us to do the same. We love you, Lord, in your precious name I pray. Amen.